Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. Kids lollygagging. They must think they're going somewhere their parents want to go. Move nice and slow when mom and dad are trying to get out the door. There they go. Good, good, good. Well, good morning to all of you. It's good to have you here. All right. We are uh, continuing in our series. It's called Belong. And as we launch into this new year throughout this series, we're exploring what does it look like for us to belong to God? A lot of times we use the language of God belonging to us. Right, we talk about I accept Jesus. Right, so we kind of a lot of times it kind of even comes with the unintended message of like we're we're coming to Jesus on our terms. Jesus is coming to us on our terms. So, uh, but we we belong to Him. He flips those tables on us. But we also belong to each other. That's language that Scripture uses when it talks about our relationships. Those of us who are in Christ, those of us who by faith are part of his family, we belong to each other. And that's, that's mystifying to us a lot of times. And so these are the things that works more. What does it look like as we belong to God? And what does it look like as we belong to each other? All right? So uh, this morning, uh, we've got a little bit of help. This is Chloe. Everybody say hi, Chloe. Hi, Chloe. Chloe's uh, going to help me out a little bit. And this is Carlos. Everybody say hi, Carlos. All right. These uh, are two that are going to help me out uh, this morning. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you want, to John chapter 13. Uh, Chloe's going to read it for us. Uh, John chapter 13, we're looking at verses 1 through 17. And uh, Chloe's going to read it for us. So, Chloe, go ahead and read that for us. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not know what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who, have a ba- those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You called me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should 
you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thanks, Chloe. Let's pray. Father, here you are. You sent your son to wash our feet. Not as an act of privilege, but as an act of humility, degradation, servanthood, and love. Teach us today, Father, through your word and by your spirit to be foot washers. As we have received your love and grace, let us show it in our lives to those around us. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and give us hearts that are ready to receive from you today. Soften our hard, stubborn hearts to receive from you today what you want from us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. As we catch a glimpse of this meal and the washing of feet, Jesus washing feet, we proclaim something today. We proclaim this beautiful good news that in his call to love one another, Jesus normalizes humble servanthood by first becoming a servant. I love how D.A. Carson says this. He says, the crucifixion and the foot washing are both an act of God by which humans are cleansed and freed. That is indeed good news for us today, is it not? As we look at what Jesus did there and how John records it for us, we're seeing uh, a couple of things being revealed in this. See, we are well-trained in the art of self-preservation. We see that in the disciples throughout their time with Jesus, and we feel that in our, our own lives as well, don't we? There's a, an awkward moment that Jesus creates, and frankly, I did too. You might have noticed the look on Carlos's face. Uh, he volunteered, but he didn't know what he was volunteering for. right? And, and so we, we have this wrestling that we do with serving, don't we? And a lot of us would rather serve. And we don't like being served. Others of us, we're frankly very good being served. And we don't like it when others treat us like a servant. We get offended. We protect ourselves. We guard ourselves. We are well schooled in the art of self-preservation. And there's this thing that Jesus is doing in this moment with his disciples that's pointing towards a future moment that's about to happen and that he calls us into. There's this thing that happens where he is freeing us from the burden of self-preservation that we might be freed to unleash the kingdom of God through the love and power of self-sacrifice and servanthood. There's this powerful thing that's taking place there. John makes it very clear as he's setting the story up that, that Jesus is pointing to what's about to happen. It's not that what's happening right here is not significant, but he's using this foot washing to point towards 
you probably guessed this, the cross. There's a, an emptying of self. And as Jesus points to the cross, he is drawing us into his humility. He's drawing us into his humility. The whole scene is an act of humility. The foot washing in this day was an act of humility. Most people didn't even have shoes. If they did, they were kind of open-toed sandals, and so their feet were crusty. There were plenty of animals in the road where people walked, so you do the math. And, and so feet were not a pleasant, tidy thing. Carlos's feet are pleasant and tidy, but, but feet in that day in particular were not. And so the act of washing these feet, oh, ew. right? There's humility in that. And then how he, it was clear that he took on the form of a servant. It says Jesus took off his outer garments. So I didn't do everything that Jesus did. He took off his outer garments and he wrapped a towel around his waist. He became a servant. And, and I'm telling you, even servants didn't dig this job. The, the servants in a home, it was, uh, if you were a Jewish servant in a home, you didn't get the assignment of washing feet. It was reserved for Gentiles, uh, Gentile servants in that home. And so it was the lowest of the low among the servants that washed the feet. And this is precisely what Jesus did. And he stepped into the awkward. He stepped into the horror of humility these disciples had done everything they could to prop up Jesus, to make sure other people knew who he was, that he was the chosen one, the anointed one, Messiah. They had propped him up, and here he was, eschewing their props and going low to serve. The lowest of the low. Humility, this whole scene. Then to take on what was to come, the cross, was not just any death, it was the death of a rebel, a traitor, an outcast, cursed by God, hanging on a tree. Jesus was showing them what this looked like to follow him. And pointing to the cross, Jesus also contends with power. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Did you hear that? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew he had been faithful with what God had called him to do. These three years of ministry, he had been faithful. He knew that the Father had given him all power over everything. Check out you and me. We get a little bit of power and it goes right where? Right to our heads. Like inflatable balloons. Whoosh. There we go. Right? Even when you're like a kid in the classroom and you were leader for the, the week, right? You got that. You came in on Monday morning. This is the way it worked in my elementary school. Teacher kind of puts like some stuffed pig on somebody's desk that week and it was on your desk. Like that meant you were the leader for the week. You got to lead the line. You got to erase the chalkboard. Like, that's weird. The teacher's got this servitude from the leader, right? And so maybe they were shaping something. But, but, but as the kid, you're like, yeah, I'm the leader. Like it meant something at recess. I'll go ahead and pick teams this time. I'm... 
I had the pig on my desk. I'm, I'm the leader, right? We get this itty bitty little bit of power and it poof. Jesus knew the Father had given him all power. All power. And what did he do with that power? He took off his outer garments like a servant. And he wrapped a towel around his waist. He served. And in doing so, in doing so, he was untangling the powers and principalities of this world that strangled those he loved. Power, the stuff that you and I are so drawn to, the way the world, the, the world tells us, the way the world works, it is a stranglehold on humanity. But here is the Son of Man who knew what real power was. All power had been given to him by the Father. And what did he do? He served. And in doing so, he untangled the cords that strangled those he loves. And ultimately, this power took him to the cross. It forces us to stop and reckon with this, doesn't it? Because the cross doesn't appear all that powerful. As a matter of fact, it looks a whole lot like losing. Only losers go to the cross. And yet here is the son who had all power, he went to the cross. Because he knows what true power is. And through self-sacrificing servanthood, he is unleashing the power of the kingdom. Think about this. As Jesus went to the cross, there was nothing that could change his love for those he came to die for. No fear of the whippings, the crown of thorns, the humiliation, nothing caused him to stop loving. His love unleashed the power of the kingdom and turned the powers and principalities of, the, on the, of this world on their head. Now, Jesus had been telling them this is what's going to be happening. But here in this moment, as he was washing their feet, he was showing them what it looks like. And this power of the kingdom that is unleashed is the power of love. Self-sacrificing love. He sets the entire stage saying so. Verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival. Right, so we're coming to the end here. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Listen to this next line. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Everything we see in Jesus, this emptying, this humility, this power of the kingdom unleashed through self-sacrifice, is love. This is what love looks like. And this is how love is unleashed into the world. Love looks like the cross. There will be movies who will try to tell you what love looks like. There will be 
Valentine's cards that are already in stores that will try to tell you what love looks like. There will be poetry and songs that try to tell you what love looks like. But Jesus shows us what love looks like. It looks like the cross, the emptying of self. And he is continually drawing us into that. The cross is offensive to the things that we have built our life on. There's nobody who looks at what happens on the cross and says, boom, that's the way things ought to go. Everybody looks at the cross in its gruesomeness, in its failure. The cross is where rebellions went to die. And they knew that that was the curse of God. And they stayed as far away from it as possible. But here Jesus willingly walked there. In John 15, just a couple of chapters, he says, there is no greater love than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. There is no greater love than this. And here in this room, with a basin and towel, he points ahead and he says, this is what love is. He didn't teach a seminar on it. He didn't pull out the PowerPoint and show the illustrations. He got on his knees and with towel and basin showed them. And the trickle of the water over the feet and the uneasy rustling the looks from one to another. What is going on here? This whole thing shouldn't be happening here. And now I'm next. I'm here. And what does Peter say? Not a chance, Lord. Not a chance. You might have washed all their feet, but you're never washing mine. And look how Jesus responds to this. Where are we doing this? Verse 8. Peter says, no, you shall never wash my feet. Listen to Jesus' answer, also verse eight. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And of course, in fine Peter fashion, he says, then not just my feet, wash it all, baby. Dump it on, wash everything. Like, I don't want to hold anything back. And Jesus explains, no, 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 no. Those, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. So in this whole thing, Jesus is pointing towards the forgiveness of sin, the cleansing from the filth of our soul. He's illustrating it with the filth of the feet, but he's talking about the filth of our soul, our rebellion, our sin, our corruption. He says, if a person has been cleansed, they only need wash their feet, right? And so let's pay attention to what he's doing there. there. There's things that he's talking about in this cleansing. Of course, he's, again, pointing towards the cross. This whole thing is pointing towards the cross. We're at the cross. The scripture tells us that Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins, your sins, my sins. Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins. He's pointing towards the cross, and it's interesting, like pay attention to this. We don't want to like get too, too into the nuances here, but pay attention to this. Jesus is saying those who have been washed, those who have taken a bath and they need to wash their feet. Like once you've been cleansed, you've been cleansed. 
Once you've been cleansed, you've been cleansed. Back in Leviticus 16, I can say that word, Leviticus 16. And in Psalm 51, these are images that are used to describe the forgiveness of sin, cleansing, washing. And here Jesus is using the same imagery. Those who have been washed are clean, right? If you have given yourself to Jesus, if by faith you have received his forgiveness, you are cleansed. But let's also be honest. Did you notice what else he's saying? Those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet because sometimes our feet get a little bit dirty. Even when we've had a bath, even when we've been cleaned, we still walk through this life and we get some on us, don't we? We sin, we disappoint God, we rebel against him. You know, in our, our sin, we, we refuse to love him with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We refuse to love our neighbor as ourselves, either by withholding or by doing something. And in the face of that, we don't have to go all the way back to the beginning. We've been cleaned, we just, through repentance, through confession, wash our feet. And we actually do that together. Like this is a community thing that he's talking about. We do that together. You'll see that develop in the second half. So Jesus is pointing towards the cross out of his love, out of his humility, out of his understanding of what true power is, power of the kingdom unleashed in our world. He's moving towards the cross for the cleansing through the forgiveness of sin. Wasn't it uh, Hamlet, the outspot, outspot, right? That was Hamlet, right, our English? We're doing okay, excellent, thank you. Thought I had that right. But, right, it's got this stain. He can't get the stain out. And we spend our lives with blood-stained hands because of our own rebellion and sin. And we can rub it, we can wash it, we can do everything we can, and all we're left with is outspot, out, until the Lamb of God gives himself in love and humility and unleashes the power of the kingdom to wash clean. Those who've had a bath don't need to be cleaned again. They just gotta wash their feet once in a while. This is a beautiful picture that Jesus draws us into in this. Now, we might stop there and it'd be powerful and good. But did you notice Jesus didn't stop there? Like he did this thing, and then he puts his clothes back on. He talked about the, the cleansing. And then listen, I want, I want to read this section again. It's a little bit since Chloe read it, so let's go back to this again. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, listen, 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 now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. 
There's this whole scene that Jesus did here, drawing the disciples in and illuminating to them what is about to happen. He's preparing their heart for what would be about to happen. He's pointing towards his sacrifice in the cross. And then he stops and he looks at me and he says, you have seen what I have done. Now do it for each other. Oof. Right? Notice who's at this table. All power. He did not use all power to stop Judas. John makes it clear that we understand that Judas was at this table and the devil had already prompted him to betray Jesus. Betrayal was sitting at the table and still Jesus washed his feet. And the betrayal was executed. And within hours, he gave up his life for the one even who had betrayed him. This is what he's calling us into. Now let's be clear. You and I are not the savior of the world, right? Not the son of man, not the son of God. My death does not accomplish your salvation, right? So that is distinct. That is unique to who Jesus is, and that is not on our plate. But he draws us into the cross-formed life, and he says, listen, Listen, if you have heard me, you understand me, you know what I've said to you, now do it. You wash each other's feet. And he wasn't talking about hygiene. He wasn't saying, now I cleaned up your dirty, stinky feet. You guys, you guys should do this for each other. Make sure it doesn't stink when you gather for meals. He's saying, you have seen how I have taken on the form of a servant. I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. You have seen how power is turned upside down where the Gentiles, the world, the, the world lords it over others. But that's so, not so in the kingdom of heaven. Right? Jesus is showing them ultimately the fullest extent of his love leading to the cross. So he's drawing us into follow Jesus' model that he gives us. And it is no easy thing. He draws us into follow him into a life of humility. Our first submission is to Jesus. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because that's what I am, right? He is. But then he says, look around you. These are the feet you wash. These are the ones you serve. This humility is a setting aside of self-preservation for the good of another. One of the things that I've learned is that uh, offense, you've ever been offended? People have done something, people have assumed things for you. Offense only sticks to pride. Doesn't stick to anything else. So where we are offended, where, where I am offended, it's showing me precisely where pride lives within my soul. I remember back when I was a little kid, I don't know, kindergarten or something, kindergarten, first grade, um, they were trying to teach us how to brush our teeth. 
right? So trying to get us used to going to the dentist and using toothpaste. We all got little toothbrushes. I, like, I don't know if they still do that. They, it feels like the kind of thing that should be assumed, but I probably should have been that day too. But there were teachers trying to teach me how to brush your teeth. And so a little dental hygienist came in and we each got our toothbrushes and toothpaste and a little sink in the room, so all turked and spitting and that kind of thing. So we all brush our teeth. And then they passed out these little red pills, which typically you shouldn't pass out red pills at school. But this one was the dental hygiene. And what it is, you, you chew it. You chew, the, you chew the little red pill and it breaks up in your mouth. And it's a dye pack and it only sticks to plaque. So then you chew the little red pill and you, you know, rinse and, and spit it out. And then you smile in the mirror and you see all the places that you didn't brush your teeth. Right, right there in bright, bold red. Made recess a little bit fun. Shining your red teeth on each other. So you're like, ooh, I didn't brush that teeth very good. There's a lot of plaque there, right? So it's trying to teach how much you really got to dig in and do all that stuff. Maybe I'm the only one who got these lessons, but it kind of brought me to mind on this thing. Um, offense is like that little red pill. Choo, 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 choo. And what does it stick to? The plaque, the decay of pride. Like I brushed my teeth. I thought everything looked pretty good in there, but then I chew the red pill and I go, ugh. I miss some spots. And so we can think like, I'm saved. I'm, I go to church. I do this stuff. And I'm cooking along pretty good with Jesus. And then somebody says something or somebody assumes something of us. We're like, you can't do that. You can't say that. And I'm not this. And you're sh- you know, trying, to, trying to show me up. And you're trying to prove yourself better. And you, you're treating me like a servant. Quit treating me like a servant. I have rights. You know? Like whatever it is. I can take all those. And, that, it, and as we respond in that offense, it's like, choo, 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 choo. And then we smile. We look in the mirror. And like, we brushed our teeth all great. And we're filled with red right because offense only sticks to pride am I the only one am I the only one that gets offended people say things some of you have said things some of my family have said things, right? People say things. Social media, that's awesome, right? We get offended. It's not the sense that when something is wrong, but it's this, my person is offended. It reveals to us where pride resides, which is a wonderful time to repent. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.